Hey everyone, welcome to Michael's Record Collection, the podcast where we talk about great music with the people who make it and the people who love it. This is episode number 88, and I'm your host, Michael Citro, and this show is a little bit different than what we normally do. I wanted to address the incredible career of Christine McVie of Fleetwood Mac, who sadly passed away on November 30th. And as we recorded this episode, uh, I enlisted the help of my friend Brian Colburn from the Playlist Wars podcast. He's been on the show a couple of times, and I wanted to talk about Fleetwood Mac. I wanted to talk about Christine McVie's place in Fleetwood Mac and, and therefore in rock history. And all of it is off the cuff. None of it is prepared. None of it is uh, researched. It is all just a couple of guys talking about Fleetwood Mac and Christine McVie and, um, and really just kind of sort of coming to grips with the loss of, of somebody uh, who is such an integral part of, of a, an iconic rock band. So hopefully you will forgive the break in format for this and just maybe get some catharsis yourself by listening to it, hopefully. I'm going to forego all of the normal housekeeping efforts. You can just go to michaelsrecordcollection.com and find all my social media links and everything, so I won't bore you with all of that this week. Go check it out there if you want. All right, without any further ado, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Christine McVie this week and um, you know, rock and peace Christine. Uh, tremendous career, fantastic musician, excellent singer and songwriter. She will be missed. Uh, Christine McVie, dead at age 79. Here we go. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to Michael's Record Collection. I'm Michael Citro, your host, and uh, doing things a little bit differently for this show. It's kind of an unprepared show, and I've enlisted the help of Brian Colburn. He's returning from the popular Playlist Wars uh, podcast. Uh, they are on a little bit of a hiatus right now, but they will be back and triumphant once again. Uh, sadly, we're here to talk about the loss of Christine McVie from the iconic Fleetwood Mac, uh, a band that has always been, ju- they've just always been around. I don't remember discovering Fleetwood Mac. They just have always been there. I don't know, Brian, if you have a sort of a, a an opening moment with Fleetwood Mac if you have a an origin story or if, if it's been the same way for you that just have always been there I have a very interesting origin story for Fleetwood Mac because rumors was released the same year I was born 1977 and my mom has told me over many many years that a, a lot of the time when she was pregnant with me she would just put her headphones on and listen to the rumors album start to finish at night, every night. And she has always accredited the fact that she listened to that album throughout the entire pregnancy with me as to why I am so musically addicted because every night she listened to that record. And I remember hearing it constantly throughout growing up. So to say it's ingrained in my DNA might be slightly literal. So the news today really did hit home for me from on kind of a obvious from the person's perspective, from a fan of the, of the group and of hers. And then just from a personal perspective, because I feel like it was kind of part of my musical DNA. Yeah. Your, your mom took a chance there because that could have wrecked every relationship you ever had I mean, because that was the breakup album. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. we are recording this uh, the day that the news came out that Christine McVie has passed away after an illness 
And, and I guess this caught a lot of people off guard. I know that Stevie Nicks has posted online that she didn't know uh, Christine was ill until a few days ago and wanted to get over to England to see her and, and, and didn't make it. So it's, it's a sad thing. This was one of those ones that hit me very much in the same way as Rico Cassick and Tom Petty and David Bowie and Neil Peart. This is one of those deaths that, um, you know, this is, like I said, an iconic band, a band that has been hit, has had hit after hit. That was, it, it's been a band that's gone through a lot of twists and turns and, and has had different levels of success in different formats. And, and Christine McVie sort of started uh, at, at the end of one era and kind of got through like a middle part and then ushered in the next era uh, when they really achieved worldwide stardom. And, and, you know, a lot of people will, you know, they point to Lindsey Buckingham, they point to Stevie Nicks, but Christine McVie for me is the glue of Fleetwood Mac. She was the, the connective tissue. I mean, there, she shines on the Stevie songs. She shines on the Lindsey songs. And of course, when she gets her own turn in the spotlight, she does amazingly well as you know, also. So a great singer, a, a great keyboard player, a good, a very good songwriter. She kind of was, like I said, she was that connective tissue for Fleetwood Mac, in, in my opinion. I, I agree with that, and I'll, and I'll take that a step further. I was talking earlier today with Jim Santora, who's the author of the underrated rock book. We've had him on Playlist Wars before, and we were going back and forth. And he brought up the fact that, similar to what you said, everyone automatically thinks Lindsay and Stevie. And there she was always kind of this commanding force. And I, I kind of tipped my hat to his book title and said, she is the underrated member of Fleetwood Mac. And the way I described it to one of my friends was sugar and spice. I look at Stevie Nicks as the spice of Fleetwood Mac sound from the female vocalist standpoint. And I look at, Christine's vocals as the sugar side, very sweet, very sultry, decadent. Her voice just feels good. It feels smooth. There's something about it that's so sweet about her voice and so pure. And I'm not degrading Stevie Nicks in any way, shape or form, but she was more of the spice in it, the kick Mm-hmm. in the Fleetwood Mac sound. She's got a little bit more gravel to her voice and a little bit more rough around the edges. And that's what makes the two of them complement each other so much. It's the literal musical definition of sugar and spice musically to me. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I can definitely hear what you're saying. And Stevie Nicks, she she could do the soft, she could do the power. And Christine sort of just stayed in that that sweet spot, you know, that the, it's interesting that you brought up the word sugar and, and that sweet uh, connotation, because that's kind of the way I was thinking of her voice when I was driving home from work today was, was that she just had this very sweet voice.
also had an amazing ability to to bring positivity and light to Fleetwood Mac, especially even during the the, the dark rumors times when they were uh, when there was all this turmoil in their personal lives and some of what Stevie and Lindsay brought to the proceedings and brought to that album in particular, some of that stuff was kind of dark, but she always seemed to find that bright spot that just, she saw the gift that she was given uh, rather than the loss of that gift. She like focused on the good part of the relationship. Definitely. Definitely. And one, you know, we're talking about her voice a lot here, but I also want to, shine a massive spotlight on the fact that she is an amazing songwriter. Mm -hmm. Some of the band's biggest hits, obviously little lies immediately comes to mind or even ones that she didn't sing, like go your own way. She wrote that even though you automatically kind of think Lindsay in that because he's the vocalist. Yeah. That is a, a little bit of a heavier style for her kind of songwriting. But then you think about what she did with, world turning which is from the self-titled album where she took the song from the peter green fleetwood mac the world keeps on turning and kind of reworked it with lindsey buckingham maybe i'm wrong but who's to say what's right i need somebody to help me through the night And they're two totally different songs when you listen to it. And what she brings to that really shows kind of her musical prowess in being able to take that one side of Fleetwood Mac and kind of transform it into this newer post Lindsay Nicks mm -hmm. entrance in 75. Like she kind of brought that level to it. But then you think about some of the songs like, she has a rock chop too. I mentioned go your own way, but then you got think about me from Tusk. Mm -hmm. And while that's kind of, I know like more of a Lindsay heavy album songs like that show that she's kind of going neck and neck with that sound. She never kind of conformed to one thing. She always was kind of branching out in all the different areas that Fleetwood Mac wrote in. And she was able to speak in all of those musical voices with ease. And I think that is why she should be heralded as such an amazing songwriter, because she was able to kind of speak all the veins of Fleetwood Mac, where as a Stevie Nicks, when you hear her solo stuff and you hear her stuff with Fleetwood Mac, it kind of has this one wheelhouse. Does that make sense when yeah. I say that? And again, no knock on Stevie mm -hmm. in any way, shape or form. She's one of my favorites of all time. Of course. Yeah, the. The thing that really is a treat when you listen to especially, you know, those those two albums, the the white album and self-titled and rumors. And when you listen to these and you hear the blending of the voices of Nick's Buckingham and Christine McVie, there's a magic there. There's those three voices intertwine in, in such a perfect way that they they create something unique and magical and and something that can't be really replicated because they have such three distinctive voices. And when they, when they merge, they create a fourth 
distinctive voice. Exactly. Even though the last tour that they did did not include Lindsay and they brought on Mike Campbell and um, was it Neil Finn? Neil Finn. Uh, that worked as Fleetwood Mac because of the fact that you had Stevie and Christine. I can't see that lineup anymore. If they were going to do anything under the Fleetwood Mac name, Stevie and Lindsay would have to figure out something and do it in tribute to her because they obviously had the era of the band in the early two thousands, the say you will album where she wasn't involved. Yeah. So if they were ever to kind of reform that voice of a band in celebration of her, it's the only way I could see it. If not, it would literally just be a Stevie solo show with Mick sitting in uh, on drums. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she went into that uh, sort of semi-retirement, or I think about ninety-eight mm -hmm. uh, for I guess, I guess about fifteen years. And uh, you know, when they reconvened and did the dance, uh, oh. was it's one of the all-time great live albums and one of the all-time great live DVDs. It is just mm -hmm. so good. Uh, and, and when you see her, I mean, when you see them perform, and and I was. I was fortunate enough to see Fleetwood Mac perform only once though it was 1987. And unfortunately uh, Lindsay left the band right before the tour. So they replaced him with two others, but I did get to see what she could bring to the table and what Stevie could bring to the table. And Christine McVeigh doesn't take a back seat to anybody when it comes to live performances. I mean, no. you don't, she's not the front woman. She's behind the keyboard. She's behind the grand piano. So she doesn't have that out front stage presence, but she holds her own musically. Uh, her songs are easily identifiable. And, you know, some of the songs you'll, you'll look at the back of some of these CDs and you go, uh, and it's sometimes the, the song title isn't, doesn't immediately bring what the song is. But if you heard that song on the radio, you'd go, Oh, I've heard this a million times and, it, and it's Christine McVie on, on vocals. Definitely. Yeah. Were you able to see them play live? Were you able to get to a show? Sadly, no. The last couple of tours, I'm not going to lie, we were just priced out of the market. Mm -hmm. And that's sad. I mean, uh, it, it sucks that the legacy bands can command that much. Sucks for fans like mine, where my pocketbook might not be as deep, pocketbook, pocket, whatever, might not be <laughs> as deep to be able to spend the 600 that they were getting for some decent seats on the last tour. 
there's only so many bands that I kind of can allocate and budget to. And when that's kind of like a concert budget for, let's say a whole summer, it's hard to justify. And the last few that they did, they did a, like a couple, they did a night at chase stadium. They had like a six different bands on. I think it was like the pink and the who, and all these different groups. It was a little festival. The tickets were so outrageous. I, I just, it broke my heart, but no, I never got to. And now there's a part of me that's hoping in celebration they can mend their fences and maybe do something at a stadium level where some of us uh, poor folk can get into the shows. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny because, yeah, you're right. The legacy acts are they've kind of gone two different ways. They're the ones that have come so big that they can command, you know, triple digit uh, ticket prices and, and even four digit Fleetwood ticket Mac, prices. The Eagles. Yeah. Like, like these these household names, I hate to say, even though it's a totally different genre, Metallica. Although I was able to get reasonably priced tickets for their upcoming kind of weekend broken up tour that they're doing mm -hmm. throughout the country. So they're still but, but they're at a stadium level. The Eagles play a lot of arenas. And when they play Madison Square Garden, I've checked the prices on their last few tours and I'm my jaw hits the ground. I yeah. I. I you get priced out, but then you have a Billy Joel who for the most part, the, the MSG run has been reasonably priced tickets. I've been to several shows on the 80 something show residency. Mm -hmm. And then he goes on tour like next summer where he'll be down in, I think Orlando with Stevie Nicks. They're doing stadiums though. So hopefully more people can get out to that. But unfortunately, well, unfortunately for me as a person, but fortunately for the band, they could they could charge whatever they want and easily sell out. And they were doing just that. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other side of the, the spectrum there is that a lot of those legacy acts that are not the big ones that are still out there doing it, they're doing like smaller venues and you can go see them at a fairly reasonable price and, and have it be, you know, where you're not as far away from the band. You, can, you don't have to watch the Jumbotron. You can actually watch the band on stage. So, yeah, yeah. So Christine McVie, she was she was born Christine Perfect, which is just an amazing fact. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> she she had a, again not just a great career with Fleetwood Mac, but she also had the, this tremendous uh, solo album in 1984, which was the second album with her name on it. The first was called Christine Perfect, and uh, this one Christine McVie in 1984. I always kind of gravitated toward you know uh, that. Um, Love's Got a Hold on Me is the one that kind of made it big off this solo album. But I always loved Love Will Show Us How a little bit more.
And also there was a great song that she had Lindsay sing with her as a duet on this called Who's Dreaming This Dream. What are some of your underrated Christine McVie, uh, you know, songs? I'll say for underrated. It, it was a hit though. So I don't know. I don't know how underrated you're going to think, but when people think of Fleetwood Mac, they don't mention, I'm going to go back to the self-titled album over my head. I mean, that was their first single to reach. Uh, this is from notes I have because this was part of my spoiler alert playlist wars top 10 list for Fleetwood Mac. And I truly stand by it. I think this is one of the band's best songs. And it was their first single to reach the Hot 100 since, oh, well, six years prior with a completely different lineup and a completely different sound. That song, there's just something about it that really drives home this is a new era of Fleetwood Mac mm -hmm. and a new sound that people of the Peter Green era had to come to grips with because you're going from rattlesnake shake to this. It's, I don't even know if it's a 180. I don't know what the spectrum is on the dial, but it's a definite left turn yeah. from what people were expecting from the blues era of this group. And I don't think if you have songs as strong as over my head or the remake of world turning. I don't see a rumors ever happening because I don't know if the band would have been embraced had they not had such a strong self-titled album in 75. Yeah. She was like the, again, she was that connective tissue between those eras and, and the connective tissue within the band. So I think that she, she had that, that sort of, adaptability that that chameleon like ability to do different things and she for me i'll always remember seeing her live and i was asked today or was asked on twitter today what sort of is her signature song and i i think it's got to be songbird
think it's that that's the song that I will always remember seeing her perform that um, live and and just just her on a grand piano singing songbird and just is amazing and and it's a great song and again she just she just killed it with the with the love and romance in in her lyrics mm-hmm. she could play that card better than anyone in the band and instead of just agreeing with you on that <laughs> being a signature song because you're absolutely right i'll throw in a very high runner up on my list which would also be from rumors and that is you make love and fun Mm -hmm. I feel like that again, maybe it's because I grew up with rumors and as a two and three-year-old, I vividly remember this song playing on the album amongst all the other great songs on the album. And I think as a kid, because I had such musical kind of like, Oh, let's play this. Let's play that. Let's play this. This album had so many different vibes and sounds as you kind of weave through rumors that it was why I loved it as an album mm-hmm. because it didn't feel like just one band over and over again. It felt like there were so many voices and hers being obviously one of the three of them. Yeah. You make love and fun was one of the, one of the things that came to mind about rumors when I said that she was, she sort of brought the light part uh, to that album. And that was one of those moments where she was ruminating on that relationship and, and not focusing on the fact that it was ending that, but, but, the fact that it existed at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What else you got? What else you got for Christine? I know you, I knew you uh, put some songs aside. You wanted to talk about what else you got? Oh, we've been kind of talking about them as we're going along <laughs> here, but let's, let's, let's hit the nail on the head here. I did not have, I will give one more playlist war spoiler here. I did not have this song on my list and it really, really, really hurt, but I, took a different approach to my list and I wanted to include some of the Peter green era. Mm-hmm. And actually now I just want to double check because I don't want to lie. Cause if it's, this has been the, our Fleetwood Mac episode was actually episode 30. And this is why when I don't have my notes in front of me, it just goes off the rails. I just want to make sure I I'm not about to lie here. I remember listening to that. I remember you pulling out a, a Peter Green era song, and I was wondering if that would help you or hurt you in the voting. Oh, it hurt. It, it <laughs> hurt, but I get, I get it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I am right. I did not include this on my list, and I want to kind of atone for that now on your show. And it's from Tango in the Night. It's Little Lies. If I could turn the page in time. 
-hmm. That song, I can't picture Stevie singing. I just can't. And her voice is so smooth in this song. And that angelic chorus, there is a reason in 1987, my 10-year-old rocker had Tango in the Night on cassette on my wall right underneath the next in alphabetical order because I went up on my wall cassette rack. When I was a kid, I would start at A and go like A to Z. Tango in the Night, Appetite for Destruction sitting right above it. (laughs) There's a reason that in 1987, I enjoyed both of those cassettes because they were incredible albums and little lies. It didn't matter what style of music you listen to at that point. It was just a perfectly infectious song that you can't deny. And I'm not the biggest eighties slick production fan. I don't like the Phil Collins era of Eric Clapton albums. I felt like Phil Collins, as much as I love him and I love Genesis, when he got into everything with pop and all the drums started to sound the same and you knew that Phil Collins had kind of something to do with it, I didn't know how I would react to that version of Fleetwood Mac. And Little Lies proved that they could do it and still hold that songwriter's level where that can shine through the overly poppy production of that album. Yeah. And then you, you take a look at a song like everywhere from that same album. And it's very, it's a very simple song, but there's the band was so good musically. They could put a lot of little intricate flourishes in a a simple song like that. And the way Christine sang it, and you, then you get those backing vocals and it turns it into something special, even though it's, like I said, it's just a very simple song. Tom Petty is my favorite artist. We've talked about this many a times in our podcast friendship over the year and change here. There's a, everyone's like, well, he's not an intricate songwriter. And I said, intricate is not always what matters. I love rush and yeah, their music was very intricate and I love it for that. But I also love when they put out a covers album jamming on summertime blues, which is not an intricate song. I just love them as musicians. Tom Petty might not write the most intricate music, but you put a song on like wildflowers, which is so simple and so pure and so beautiful. You're not thinking about, well, I could easily play that. So no, you're not. You're 
trapped in the beauty of the music. And that's what Tom Petty, why he spoke to me. And it's the same reason why Christine McVie spoke to me in her role in Fleetwood Mac. She was able to grab you with her songwriting skills and that voice that just, it's like, they're there. Everything's going to be okay as you're listening to it. Cause it just, it's comforting. Yes. Her voice is it's comfort. It's yeah. audio comfort. I don't know another way to describe it. Very warm um, and welcoming. And like you said, enveloping. And, and I think you described it perfectly. One of the things I love about Fleetwood Mac is that there's a, you know, everybody loves rumors. It's one of the great albums of all time. A lot of love for the self-titled white album. A lot of love for Tusk, a lot of love for Tango in the Night. I love this album, Mirage. I think Mirage I see, is... If you're, if you're holding them up, I should start. <laughs> Mirage to me is is maybe one of the most underrated 80s albums. Um, I agree. And Christine McVie, all over this, Love in Store and um, Hold Me. That's the album, that album opener. I mean, oh man. Just Brilliant fantastic song. songs. And, and I think that... Um, this is as good as anything they put out for me. And, and I know that it's uh, it's it, so some people will say it sounds dated, but the songs were so strong. I don't care. Yeah, but somebody will say the same thing about Tango in the Night. Yeah. And it's it's that 80s slick production, because I'll tell you right now, and I've had this argument with people before, and I'll just throw it out here just as not an arguable point. Let's just say it's a fact, <laughs> even though it's not. I feel that rumors has reached the timeless category. Mm -hmm. I don't attach a year when I hear that album. To me, that album could have been released yesterday as well as it could have been released in 1977. It just has that timeless energy and sound to it where Tango in the Night is easily identifiable as a late 80s product because of the sound. But I can tell you right now, you fast forward to Say You Will, that has a sound that could be any decade. You could say that's 90s. You could say that's 2000s. You could say, but 80s kind of has that, oh, it's the 80s. And I kind of think that depending on if you're a 80s baby or not, so to speak, is where you're going to land with that. Yeah. So sometimes the slick production masks otherwise amazing songwriting because it's all about the fireworks and look at me, look at me. Like if you get what I'm saying with that mm -hmm. kind of sound when it's sweet and produced the way it is, it kind of just blends into the overall radio landscape at the time. Whereas the songwriting really sticks out on albums like rumors and self-titled and Tusk. Because seriously, you listen to a song like Tusk with a full marching band in it. That's that's weird, but somehow they made it work. Yeah. 
and it and it came off really great in the uh, the dance as well when they brought them marching up through the aisles. That was oh, uh, fantastic. It's one of that's my favorite part. My favorite part, and I have a lot of favorite parts. Yeah, yeah. That's... I could argue. I could do a playlist <laughs> and album on that and get into actual arguments with people because there are so many brilliant renditions on that album alone. Yeah, it's got my. Um... For me, the definitive version of I'm so afraid is on that uh dude. We you and I right there <laughs> completely, completely agree. The I'm so afraid version blows the album, even though I love the album version, blows it out of the water. Does absolutely. So Christine, uh, just a, a fantastic talent. It's, it's sad that we lost her. She was 79 years old. Um, again, this was a, one of those gut punch losses for me. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm at work. I'm kind of, I was, it was a kind of a busy day today and a, a coworker of mine sent over a link on, uh, on teams, on Microsoft teams, and can't always tell what something is from the link. So I clicked on it and it popped up and it was the story of, uh, announcing her, uh, passing. And so that was a, that was a rough one. Uh, it was kind of tough to get through the rest of the day. And I'm, I'm, you know, part of me wants to immediately dive into Fleetwood Mac songs and Christine McVie songs, but I tend to not do that. I tend to avoid that and to hold myself back from doing that because I, at work on a busy day is not the day to be crying in my cubicle. <laughs> so I put off that and, and I'm sure I will have an extremely deep dive into her music here in the, in the coming weeks. But, you know, I, I want to, um, thank you for your time for this because I just, I just felt like it, it was time to, um, I, I felt like it was good to decompress, talk about Christine a little bit, talk about her career and, and her place in Fleetwood Mac, a band that has its very well-defined place in, in rock music history. And, and then, like you said, you know, even though everybody kind of gravitates towards Stevie and Lindsay, it, it's really, this band was every bit as much, if not more, Christine McVie's band than it was either of them. Yeah. And it, it's a sad loss for music fans all over the place. And with a lot of the artists that lose them, that we lose, no matter how much it hurts, it just makes me more thankful that we'll always be able to connect with them on a musical level. And I'll do that every time I put on rumors now to the day I die. Yeah, for sure. So I want to thank you because on very short notice, you jumped on here with me and, um, and did this. I know this wasn't a normal edition of, of Michael's record collection. It was completely un, unscripted, unplanned, unresearched. Uh, it was just off the cuff talk between two people who, who love Fleetwood Mac and who love Christine's work in Fleetwood Mac. And, um, you know, so hopefully this was some type of catharsis. It was for me. I hope it was for you, Brian, and, and hopefully it Definitely. will be for the, the people who watch this video or listen to the, the podcast. Hopefully they will get something out of it similar. And, and like you said, we'll, we'll always have the music. Um, that's the, the great thing about them being famous is that they've, they've put out this public record uh, of, of work that we can revisit, you know, whenever we want to. So um, it, it's almost like they're still here with us. Yeah. And, and thankfully her voice was always calming to me as a child. It's always going to be. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like rest in power because of the gifts that she's brought and 
God, it's it 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 really sucks. It really yeah. sucks. I mean, you know, 79 years old. I was shocked. I didn't realize she was 79. I know. You I assume she track. was much, much younger. She <laughs> just her and Stevie had this magical, they wore it well. You they, they were almost ageless. Yeah. And yeah, I I hope I didn't incoherently ramble too much in this, but kind of it's just speaking off the, from the heart here and uh still still trying to process it. Yeah. And you know, just listening to a couple of songs before was choking me up. So it, it it really sucks. It's a big loss. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a huge loss. So uh thank you, Brian. Uh, you can you can find Brian on the uh I mean you could go back and if you haven't listened to Playlist Wars, you can listen to all of their shows and get caught up before they they make their triumphant return, um, which will hopefully be soon. I know you're you've done some shows with Colburn and company as well. So do you have some more coming up or is the winter kind of the time you guys shut down or how does that work? We usually shut down for December and January and we are picking back up in uh, February this year with some shows at some wineries in the area. Everything is posted up at briancolburn.com and then we'll pick it up much more full steam ahead in the summer this, this coming year in 2023. We got uh, one of my, close friends from high school nikki capiello's joined the group and is doing female vocals so our song list kind of doubled over the last year and it's been fantastic sharing the stage with her so we have a lot of fun doing it and we've been talking about fleetwood mac songs to add in now that we have two voices and now it's going to become even more complicated because as much as you want to think about what songs you want to play you kind of want to give maybe a little nod to Christine after all this. So yeah, we might have to do some more fleet because we had a list of two or three we were wrestling with, but now it's going to probably grow when we have our next band meeting. All right, Brian, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. You and I will, will revisit um, each other when we have happier news to and happier things to talk about. Uh, Thanks again for your time on such short notice. My pleasure. It's always great talking music with you, man, and look forward to doing it again. Like you said, under happier circumstances, I got a stack of albums that I'm hoping you have. So we'll, we'll, we'll definitely talk. Michael's record collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's record collection on social media at Mike's records on Twitter and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash michaelsrecordcollection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.